Hello, and welcome to the Double Take Podcast with your hosts, Kirk and Kevin Weber. This is the show for fans of sports, music, and popular culture. On this episode of Double Take, we discuss the Apago 2019 release, the With the Beatles album, the franchise Mount Rushmore of the Houston Astros, and the state of Detroit sports. Join us now on Double Take. Well, welcome. This is Kirk Weber with my brother Kevin Weber to our 13th episode of Double Take. We appreciate you joining us. If this is your first time, uh, thank you uh, for trying us out. Uh, if you're a regular listener, thank you even more for listening. We had uh, we were getting more and more people that are kind of checking us out. And uh, again, if you have different ideas that you want us to, um, you know, tackle, um, let us know. All right. Uh, today, uh, before we kind of go into our other segments, we're going to start off the show talking about um, the recent release of uh, the cards for Apago 2019 and kind of pros and cons, a little, maybe a little overview of that. Um, if you are an APA baseball player, uh, there's the traditional kind of board dice version and then there's Apago. And there's pros and cons for both, and I think that what you try to do is figure how do they fit into your your hobby. Um, and so you, Kevin, have kind of looked at the recent updates and stuff. And what's your initial thoughts after a couple of days? You know, well, I'm looking at it. I like to look at it as far as um, doing research for my draft that will be after the new cards get out in the new year. Um, but the thing about the Epigo cards, um, and they just dropped a few days ago here. Um, is they're pretty much the same. I mean, they're the basic cards. They're pretty much the same as they're going to be um, when the new cards, you know, the, the cardboard cards come out. Um, they, they make, you know, some corrections if there's some error or something on it because they use basically the same file from what I've heard. And, um, of course, the Epigo game is basically the basic game. Um, there is a, um, a PC version uh, of APA, which is basically the master game because there's the, you know, and it's much more complicated but not too complicated a lot of guys really like the master game um and you can uh do some online things play whole seasons um people really like that um but um i've kind of you know gotten into the the epigo because it's you know online and you can play it from a tablet you can play it from your phone you can play it on a computer um they have um tournaments in there i've tried to do some tournaments before that hasn't really worked very well because you got to have people on there at the same time i mean you could play a season if you wanted to a whole season is only 20 dollars instead of like 70 75 dollars you know for the right for the card so it's a little cheaper that way and you're using the same cards they have online dice rolling and things like that there's some things about the gameplay that some people don't like um as far as like if you're playing against a computer, there's computerized managers or you can play solo. You can play both teams if you want to. Um, but sometimes they do some quirky things the managers do. Um, and if you're trying, you can only play as the home team if you're playing against a manager. Um, you're always like the home team. So it'd be nice if they flip that around. I'm sure they could work that out, but they haven't really done so yet. But anyway, the new cards just drop. So that's always very exciting to see, you know, when you've got a particular team or some people have multiple teams to see what grade do my pitchers get? How good of a hitting card do I have for um, 
you know, whatever, you know, Javi Baez, if he's on your team, or, you know, how many positions can he play, and what rating they give him, and all these kind of things. So, um, considering, you you know, what happened this past season in 2019, of all the starting pitchers uh, in Major League Baseball, how many do you think got an A rating? Mm. What do you think, Kirk? You got a guess? Um, Ten? I, I'm not. I mean, I haven't been able to look at him, so I'm just totally yeah. stabbing. The and dark. you don't have the Apple. I have it. You, you don't right. have the 2019. So yeah, that's no. a pretty good guess. Actually, there were seven. There were seven. seven. Okay. I thought there might be a couple more. That's pretty low if you think about it. Don't you know? Right. Yeah. For a, yeah. So I'll just go through real quick and tell you who they are. Some of them will be obvious. Uh, Justin Verlander is an A. Okay. And um, uh, Garrett Cole's an A. Jacob Degrom is an A. Um. But then there's a few that are a little bit surprising. Rich Hill, who I traded away, I thought he was going to be a B. He's an A. I mean, he's only an A pitcher with, you know, 58 innings. Right. Um, yeah. Um, Hugh Jin uh, Ryu, I can't say his name right. Uh, he's an A, right. you know, the Dodger right. pitcher. Not with, surprised. With a, yeah. with a double Z, by the way, too. So that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. But um, he ended up pretty good there. Um, Sean Manea from Oakland is an A, mm-hmm. the young pitcher out there. Tyre Glasnow from the B- Tampa Bay is an A. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's it. Those are those are the A's. Now there's lots of A relievers and AC relievers. There's an AC as far as the starters. They're all just regular A's. And for those that aren't so familiar with APA, I mean they they rank the pitchers. If you're an awful pitcher, no matter how awful you are, you're a D. And then they move up to C, and then B, and then A. You know, is like a Justin Verlander this year. And then if you have one of those superstar seasons, you might be an A C or A B. Those are kind of reserved for the hall of fame kind of seasons that people seem to have here and there all right so that's kind of how it goes but yeah just seven that's kind of surprising and i think that's indicative a little bit of with so many relievers nowadays um it you know it matters what the formula is and uh some of it is how how much do you pitch and if you look at those pitchers they had more innings pitched which i think i don't know you know they don't really tell us the formula for sure but I know that, you know, you got to pitch some. Now, Rich Hill, that's where he's a little surprising. I mean, as mm-hmm. a starter, he pitched like an A for 58 innings or whatever. But that's weird to have a guy that's a starting pitcher who pitched under 100 innings, under 75 innings, be an A starter. Because what he could do is totally throw off uh, a tournament team that if oh, yeah. you yeah. you know like that he's a he um i mean as far as leagues go normally it's like however many at bats or um you know innings they had is what they are supposed to do so it doesn't throw it off but he makes their team totally different you know well if they're going with j ratings on the tournaments like sean Manea does uh, that too for oakland he only had 29 innings right and he's an a xz pitcher so um you know, usually they have a thing in there as far as how many games you started right. to be able to start. So, um, yeah, I think they would have to do that a little bit. Same thing with Tyler Glasnow. He had 60 innings. Um, so some of these guys are, you know, I mean, you know, you got the Jacob DeGrom with 204 innings. And, and you've got Garrett Cole, of course, with 212 innings. And, and of course, we know the Bulldog Verlander. Um he had 223 innings, which, you know, if you get over 200 innings nowadays, that's pretty impressive. 
Um, right. So. I remember when we were kids, we used to like look more at like, oh, if you won 20 games, you should be an A yeah. or something and like Apple that. And Apple seemed to go with that a little bit more in the past, that the number of wins you had um, seemed to affect that. And they look at, you know, the average ERA, ERA for that season. You know, how were you? I mean, because if, you know, an average ERA, you should be a C because C is average, right? You know, mm-hmm. you should be around a C. If you're a little bit better than average, you're probably a B. If you're way better, then you're an A, and then you go from there. If you're below average, you're a D. So um, they seem to go more with that now than the wins. Um, I think some guys got bumped up grades in the past because they had won so many or got knocked down as well because they didn't win games. So, you know, with the modern metrics and everything, I think that that has kind of changed things a little bit for the better, you know, because right. the guy should perform the way he should perform. I mean, Rich Hill, when he was out there for his 60 innings, he pitched like an A. So, you know, he should be an A, right? Right. You know, even if you pitched 29 innings, you should be an A. You know, I mean, that's what you did, you know? Right. So. But. Because it, it, you used to see sometimes where guys would be made an A for a team uh, in some of the old sets, like if you're not getting a reprint, and that guy maybe wasn't quite an A. I mean, he was in, you know, just by a, an o- older formula. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, it's interesting how you can kind of mix them. But that's kind of part of baseball no matter what when you're comparing stats from different eras. Um, you know, it's hard to do, but um, APA deals with that as well. But I think it still works pretty well. Um, so, yeah, that's pretty cool. I, I, you know, as far as, you know, APA go, uh, I mean, I know there's the, you know, the pros and cons of the game. I do, when I play it, I always make it so that I see the card when it comes up and, mm-hmm. um, because I just like seeing the card and the cards, seeing the card is part of the experience. Now I know some people will say they like the feel of it and the dice and all that. And that's, that's fine. I, I get it. You know, um, I think you can play games pretty quickly if you're trying to do things with the app ago. Um, so that, that's beneficial. Uh, there was something where I was reading on a, on a board where somebody who really likes, you know, just the old school kind of paper and cards and dice, but was dealing with like some chemotherapy and, and it was hard for them to do a lot of kind of, you know, cause you're moving around a lot more. I mean, you're, I know you're not, but you're moving your arms around a lot when you're, yeah. when you're mm-hmm. playing with the dice. Uh, and so I think if somebody was struggling like that, I could see how Epigo could at least give them something to keep their mind off of their, their health issues while still playing a game that they enjoy. So, you know, there are benefits with that. I think the other thing that it's really useful for, and I know I've heard this on the This Week in Appa stuff uh, on their podcast, is uh, it's kind of an air correction uh, way of doing things where they're able to, it, it, as long as enough, you know, serious fans, you know, buy it and use it, they can they will point out, hopefully in a nice, constructive, nice way, uh, mistakes and errors like, Hey, what's up with that? So they have fewer issues with needs for reprints and strange cards that come out, you know, where they're able mm-hmm. to kind of yes. solve some of that, um, before they get to the printing, um, which I think yes. everybody would appreciate, uh, that used to not always, you know, that wasn't always the case. So now they can do that because they're basically getting a bunch of proofreaders, uh, going through it for them, you know? Uh, so that's good. That, that It just happens to work out that way. I mean, it's kind of a win-win for everybody, I think. Yeah, I think so, too. And it's nice to get, like, the early previews, 20 bucks to get it, and uh, that's kind of fun. Um, as far as um, a couple other things might be mentioned, it's always kind of neat to look at the, the ratings. Last year, Simmons and there's somebody else were shortstop 10s. That's the highest you can get for a shortstop. Mm-hmm. 
This year, there's no shortstop tens. I guess they didn't play as good a defense. But there are two third baseman sixes, which is the top rating. That's like the Brooks Robinson rating, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so you got any idea who those two might be? One's in the National League, one's in the American League. Did Bregman get one? Bregman did not. Okay, sometimes they talk. But he like did that. get, I believe, a shortstop nine because he played some shortstop this year when Correa was oh, quite right. impressive. That is very. Is he is he a yeah. five do you, um, at third or two or no? Um, let me take a look I here. But um, I know but in the World Series. Um, I you know off. Um, it was. Uh, I'm. You know, you're going to say who, and then I'm going to be like, yeah. I know there was one guy that everybody— Bregman was a five, by the way. He was a third right. baseman five, yes. Yeah. Um, third baseman five and shortstop nine. That's quite impressive. That and is— he's got a killer killer card otherwise, right. too. A great card, yeah, because he had a great yeah. season. You know? That is a that is a very nice card that he has for this last year. Um, what about um, Rendon or something? I'm not sure. I, I don't know. I, uh, I believe Rendon's a five. He's a good fielder, but uh, no one Arenado. Okay, Arenado, yeah. where I yeah. never get to watch him play as much, but I know he's a great fielder. And a West Coast American League player, younger guy. Um, that'll be my hint for you. So we're we're thinking American League West. So we're thinking either the A's or the Angels. Yes, the A's. The A's. <laughs> I who's their third baseman? Matt Chapman. Oh, Chapman. Guy. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's great. Um. He well, uh, Bill James rated him as the best fielding third baseman in baseball again, and uh, what's his name? Their first baseman he rated as the best rated uh, first baseman. Um, the A's first baseman I just forgot his name, but he's a young guy too. Um, That's pretty good on the corners like that. Oh know? yeah, they have great defense. Yep. Um, yeah, which uh, is kind it, um, of what Matt, they Matt Olson. Matt Olson. Oh yeah, yep. Yeah. First baseman five, third baseman six. Yeah, pretty good. <laughs> yeah, that's that's solid. When you get basically, you get if you get something like that, a six or a ten at short, it's like a bonus point, you know, when you're doing your fielding. You know, I mean, it's like you can just play, like if you have a weaker guy somewhere else, you can just play him, you know, and just figure like, oh, that guy that would have been a seven is now like an eight at second base or something, you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. there are several second baseman nines, some that got bumped up. Like, uh, I have Ozzy Albies on my team, and he was an eight last year, now he's a nine. Uh, Colton Wong, who people saw in the playoffs, he's a nine. DJ LeMahieu's a, a nine. Addison Russell, Yelmer Sanchez, and Adam Frazier is a mm. nine second baseman. So that's a little surprising. Do you have the stuff for the catchers by any chance? Yes, I yeah. will. I, I can. I can tell you anything you want to know, man. Okay. So, I'd yes. like to know the catchers. Catcher nine. Catcher nines. Yeah. All right. So there are a few here. Um, Martin Maldonado is a nine. Christian Vasquez. Sandy Leon, Leon, uh, Yadier Molina, once again a nine. I think sometimes that might get a little bit on. I mean, he is still good, but I don't know. Yeah, I, I wonder <laughs> if know? there's a little bit of a fade there, but you know, whatever. Yeah. Uh, Jeff Mathis from Texas. Uh, Austin Hedges is a nine. Tucker Barnhart, who I traded away on my team, is a nine. Uh, Danny Jansen is a nine. JT Romato, who's on my team, who was an eight last year, now he's a nine. Okay. And uh, R- Roberto Perez from the Indians is a nine. Those are your nine catchers. Yes. I think early on in the year when JT was uh, throwing the ball like 90 miles an hour down the second base as a catcher, which is like, what the heck is that? I think that's yes. when, when people are like, okay, yeah, me, my, he's pretty good. Um, not that that's the only thing, because I think throwing sometimes gets a little overrated. But, um, but yeah, that's cool. Especially um, since guys don't steal that many bases anymore. It's not right. really as, as big a deal. 
Yeah. Right. Pop time is great, but really it's about um, how you receive and how you block. Those are the two big things that you, you know, and in the majors calling pitches. Uh, so, I mean, you get some, but he is a phenomenal athlete. Um, I'm sure there's lots of outfielder threes. You don't really have to go through those. It's just some of those when you get nines um, in the infield or at catcher, um, you know, like middle infield, uh, those are that that's significant um, because that that really changes, you know, your fielding and, and can make a difference or, you know, third baseman or first baseman five uh, or, you know, third baseman six. So that that's interesting. Um, hmm. You know, I, I'm sure the metrics I would be curious to know. I'm sure the metrics yeah. for fielding have changed a lot over the years. Yeah, for I think Apple. so. They have a lot more uh, data to look at to figure out what it, you know who's good or not. I don't really know how they do that, but it seems to be pretty accurate. You know, and I think it's good that if a guy can change from year to year, you know, um, right? Because you know maybe they didn't have. It. I mean, just like hitting years, you know, you don't always have as good a fielding years sometimes. Mm-hmm. So. You know, there's something to be said for that as well. So, yeah. Well, that's um, it's good. We'd like to, uh, you know, I know not everybody checks out Epigo or has different uh, opinions on it, but if anybody has opinions on that, feel free to let us know. And, you know, you can either, uh, you know, send us some message at Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at Double Take Cast or email us at Double Take Feedback at gmail.com or leave us a voice message on anchor.fm and, uh, we'll integrate that. This is the time to uh, probably get involved more with Apigo before the print cards come out and to get familiar with different things, especially if you're in a league where you can uh, kind of do more studying of different things and still have fun with it. Um, plus, they also drop new cards and you know new free parts to it and stuff like that. So yes. um, so that's good. Uh, we'll probably talk more about Epigo here and there over the winter, but uh, we thought this would be a good time to start that off. Um, and then when we um, come back, we're going to do a couple new uh, segments that we started. Um, one is uh, going through different Beatle albums, and uh, the next one up would be uh, also from 1963. We did Please Please Me last uh, episode, and this one here we're going to do with the Beatles, and we're also going to do another Mount Rushmore uh, among other things that we'll be talking about. So we'll be right back um, after this. So we're going to take a look at our second Beatles album, um, and we're going in sequence, of course, so that will give us With the Beatles, which was... Um, the, uh, an album released on November 22nd, 1963. And as history teachers, we know what that is. I mean, with the uh, Kennedy assassination, the Beatles are very linked in some ways to uh, the American conscious as far as the Kennedy assassination and and the, the height of Beatlemania right after it. But that's, that's maybe another topic. But anyways, eight months after Please Please Me, um, which, of course, as we mentioned last time, was all recorded in one day. This album was still recorded quite quickly, but it was over um, seven different sessions in three months, um, more in the summer to sometime into the fall, because Beatlemania was starting to uh, take hold in Great Britain at that time. So, um, um, among other things, there's several cover versions on this album, and uh, some, of course, Lennon McCartney originals, and um, George Harrison's first uh, recorded original uh, on this album as well what are your initial takes there on with the beatles kurt 
Well, I, I think they went with the similar formula and uh, with some originals and some of the live sets that they did. What I really like about with the Beatles is how they'll have some um, early kind of pioneering rock and roll with things like uh, Rollover Beethoven, for example. But then they also will throw in some Motown, uh, especially like You Really Got a Hold on Me, Good Smokey Robinson stuff, or Please Mr. Postman, uh, the Marvelettes. Um, and you know, some of the girl group stuff that's there. Um, the thing that I think is interesting is, I mean, we, they knew something big was happening in England, but, uh, there still wasn't the break that occurred in the U S until early 1964. Um, you're right with the JFK assassination, all that, uh, the mood of the United States changes and the energy of the Beatles by the early 1960s. It's huge. The other thing that happens though, is released like, um, in England, like seven days later, a week later, is the I Want to Hold Your Hand, This Boy um, single. Mm-hmm. And that is repackaged in January of 64 to I Want to Hold Your Hand, I Saw Her Standing There in the U.S., and that's what yes. most Americans would know. But they basically released two singles from this album. It was the I Want to Hold Your Hand, A-Side, and then they did Roll Over Beethoven, Please Mr. Postman. Like, um, that which is was a re- heck of a single. <laughs> right, which was released basically in capital for Canada. Right. So that a lot of things started leaking into the U.S. But I Want to Hold Your Hand um, was the big single off of this. And really what was the big thing that made the U.S. kind of invasion happen? Yes. Um, And so this this album, too, because, you know, it's I Want to Hold Your Hand's not on there. Like most albums nowadays, you put your single on there. But the Beatles didn't believe in that. They thought that they were ripping off their fans if you got to buy it twice. Of course, in America, you know, Capitol Records, they didn't believe that. So they took this album please please me and they took i want to hold your hand and put it on meet the beatles you know and mm-hmm. that's the first song on meet the beatles and you know i guess in hindsight it worked quite perfectly um it was exactly what was needed and they took the cover from this and put it on meet the beatles as well yeah right so it, it um you know it's it matters where you were living uh but they had stockpiled a bunch of great material that ended up becoming what was the uh, first experiences for the United States market. But this album does all the things that you, if you like, please, please me, you like this album. I mean, it ends with a great rock and roller uh, song money, you know, with a great Mm -hmm. Lennon rock and roll vocal, uh, which again, it's another ode kind of to Motown stuff with Barry Gordy being one of the co-writers of that song. And, um, you know, you got Ringo doing, I want to, uh, want to be your man, which, um, was always a good live song for him. Um, so there, there's, you know, the similar sorts of best, I think too. Yeah. You know, they do really like it, you know, good vocals and, uh, kind of more of the love song type stuff with uh, all my lovin', which is always a fan favorite of Paul McCartney, even to this day. Um, they do till there was you, which was, you know, doing some stuff from musicals and stuff. So, you know, it has all that variety on it that um i think was what they they were trying to hit different markets and niches um and they were able to do that again and and great performances too you know um the version yeah. of rollover beethoven is still you know phenomenal yeah mm-hmm. it's it's you know still got that feel of a live album like please please me did you know and it's only uh you know 35 minutes or so long um mm-hmm. and you know it, it's it's still you know they still have the the tight harmonies and there's that energy there. They they have not been worn down by Beatlemania yet. They still are in the drive mode, trying to make it to the top. They haven't quite made it there yet. That's kind of where they're at. 
I mean, if you look at, and of course, not everybody always looks at, um, you know, sides of a record, but, um, you know, side one is, it won't be long, all I got to do, all my loving, don't bother me, little child, till there was you, please, Mr. Postman. Okay, very good. All my loving is probably the best song on on that side. Could have been a single. All right, there's mm-hmm. always songs that could have been a single, right? If they wanted to, right. to milk, yeah. milk these albums. But side two really kicks some butt. Oh, I mean, it does. It's, it's yeah. Roll over Beethoven, hold me tight. You which really is fun. Hold on yeah. me. I, I want to be your man. Devil in her heart, which is a fun song. Not a second time, and then money. I mean, holy right. cow, you know? Yeah, they finish really strong on that side too, or or B side. Um, it, it's, you know, and plus it has a classic Beatle cover, you know, with the, uh, mm-hmm. the black turtlenecks, black and white photo with kind of the faces, uh, kind of side profiling or kind of you know, shadow on the left side of their faces. Um, so it, it has all those elements of some great Beatles stuff, early Beatle, you know, like kind of phase one, uh, Beatles, Beatlemania leads all into that. Now, one thing I want to point out, and we didn't say this last time we were talking, you know, some people might like, hey, I'd like to hear some of these songs you're talking about. And I would love to be able to <laughs> yeah. do that. But we try to be as legal as possible. And we're not allowed to play. I mean, you know, we're, you know, some people are like, you know, I looked up as much stuff. And if anybody knows, like, something that I'm not aware of, please feel free to email us at doubletakefeedback at gmail.com because, you know, even a couple seconds, you're not allowed to do that. I mean, this is their stuff. Uh, we would be breaking copyright laws by doing that. So we just feel like we just can talk about it. We encourage you to listen to these albums and maybe that can help. Um, but if there's ever a way that we could actually play something, we would. All right. Trust me, we would do that. Um, but that's why we don't. We're not trying to be annoying or tease people with with things, you know. Yes. Um, but, you know, if you have, I mean, I, I think everybody this age, um, in this day and age, should have some subscription to a uh, streaming service. And the Beatles, is it's all on there now. Um, so you can go to any of these albums and you can listen to them and you can go through and listen to them in the right sequence. Um, so, you know, get Spotify or Apple Music or whatever, Amazon and, or, you know, Google or whatever it is and use one of those and they're all there. You know, that's kind of how it is. So um, another fun album, um, lots of material that we talked about how uh, basically what the be- what the way the music industry was back then is you cashed in as quickly as possible. So they like to have people release a couple albums a year if they could mm-hmm. before they fizzled out. And in this case, you know, with the Beatles uh, early on, they were releasing two albums a year, basically something for the summer and something for the winter or holiday uh, time yes. period. So we got two um, albums, boom, right away, and we'll get two more in 1964, and of course we'll get into those um, in our next episode. But um, a good start for them. And also allows, by the time we get to the 1964 stuff that we'll talk about, uh, them to dominate the charts because of this uh, lack of desire by Capitol Records in the American market to release their stuff. All of a sudden, they, they just flooded with things coming in. Mm-hmm. Um, which and makes two it straight number one records, you know. I mean, that's what they had, you know, two gold records in in the UK and throughout um, Europe. That's definitely what spurred all that. And you got all this backlog of songs for sure. Yeah, right. You know, and this is pretty. I mean, they they do more overdubbing on on with the Beatles. They have a, you know, pretty much you know still a lot of live stuff. Still mostly their guitars and drums. There is more piano and, and organ involved. But you know, they're doing. 
you know, you know, Ringo might do a little bit with some bongos or maracas or something, but you know, or hand claps. But for the most part, it's it's the the Beatles as a as a rock and roll band is what you have. Yes, um, and that is uh, is still fun. I mean, you know, this is what made them what they are. And um, but eventually, they're going to want to kind of take it to another spot, and that you know will kind of transform in the next year or so of their career. Um, yes. So that's kind of our quick takes on. Um, with the Beatles and we'll do some more Beatle uh, talk. Next coming up. album will be a hard day's night. A I hard believe, day's right? night. Yep. Um, and their yep. first movie, which of course we'll have to talk about too. Um, mm-hmm. And a couple other key singles like can't, can't buy me love and, and things like that. So, um, so I think what we'll do is we'll talk about the albums, but we'll also talk about what were the singles at the time? Because like you mentioned, um, they would try to give the best, you know, um, package for their fans and you'd be like, okay, get the album and here are the singles. If you were in the UK, at least, mm-hmm. um, in the, yeah. in the United States, it was, it, you know, it's kind of hit. They it didn't was have, whatever they felt like doing. <laughs> yeah. They had no control. <laughs> so. They being the, the record company, they had no control over that. Um, so that was our quick, uh, Beatle talk on with the Beatles and, um, after um, a quick interlude here, we'll come back and talk another uh, sports franchise, Mount Rushmore. All right. Well, welcome back. Uh, last week, we started a new segment that we called uh, Franchise Mount Rushmore. And we did the uh, Montreal Expo slash Washington National. So if you're curious about that one, check it out. I also had fun uh, trying to take pictures of our four people that we determined to and uh, making a little yes. uh, little uh, uh, funny Mount Rushmore of them. And I'll do that again for this one, um, you know, after we figure it out. Uh, so what we picked out this time, just to kind of finish out. Um, Which, by the way, we don't have figured out yet. We're just, yeah. you know, going with it. Right. <laughs> we, we know what franchise we're going to talk about the houston astros you know may as well do the world series teams right is that what you're yes, thinking that's what um, I was thinking. and then i'm thinking maybe next week we'll do something like uh nba or something maybe okay you know something like that um of course welcome to suggest to us on twitter facebook or instagram at double take cast or email us at double take feedback at gmail.com and or leave us a voicemail at anchor.fm and let us know if you have one. You know, I'd, I'd like to do non-baseball in the next one. Either NFL or NBA would probably be good. We could also do, you know, uh, something with like, you know, hockey or something. But, you know, we'll go with another sport. Um, yeah. So I, I, I'd i like to uh, propose two of them that I think we're both going to agree on, on okay. Houston. Probably Jeff Bagwell and Craig Biggio. Yes, I've got both of them on. All right. I mean, sure. they both played basically, uh, well, they played their whole careers with, you know, as Astros. Um, and they're Hall of Famer players that are in, I think they're the only two Astros in the Hall of Fame with, you yep. know, as an Astro. Yes. Um, yeah. You know, they I mean, Biz- almost their whole career, or pretty much their whole careers with them. Yes. I mean, Biggio, you know, over 3,000 hits. Um, he's the only player to win a gold glove at both catcher and second base, which is super impressive. I mean, in its own way. Yes. Um, had some great years, um, like at the end of the 1990s. His 1998 year was something else. But um, so Biggio and then Bagwell, of course, um, you know, he started off great. I mean, I think he uh, was rookie of the year for them in 91. Um, he won an MVP in 94. 
Yeah. Um, he was a uh, you know pretty good fielder. I know he won a Gold Glove. I think he was solid. You know. Yeah. Um, as a right-hander, nearly, nearly a 300 career hitter. You know, with a lot of power, of course. You know. I saw on um something where he's the only first baseman in MLB history to record a 30-30. 30 home run, 30 stolen base season, and he did it twice. Yeah. In yes, 97 and 99. So in 99, just, 42 home runs and 30 steals, and he hit 304. That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. That, that's a that's a fun app card right there. Do you feel like Bagwell maybe did some roids? I mean, do you, do you have that feeling um, about him? I'm thinking he did. You know, I think so, too. I mean, I think he was a great player anyway and all that kind of stuff. But, man, I don't know. There's a little, you know. I, and I, maybe you that's know, in 94, fair. he had a 1201 OPS. Wow. In 1994. I mean, in 400 at-bats, he hit 39 home runs, drove in 116 runs, and hit 368. Right. <laughs> okay. And stole 15 bases. Holy smokes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? I I mean, I, I know it's probably not fair to say that without proof, but... I know, uh, but I, lit, just, I just he, always get that vibe from him, you he know? He played during the era that, that would oh, have yeah. been what happened i mean you know he i mean he was a you know he was a four-time all-star and as far as you know him being one of the four mount rushmore people i mean he's a franchise leader in homers rbi yeah. walks you know like i mean he mm-hmm. he he should be on that to me two no-brainers are bagwell and biggio those are two well the right? one thing that makes me think that maybe he you know, I know just because he's a bigger guy and he played in that era. That's why I'm saying that. So hopefully I'm not offending any Astros fans. But the thing is, like, when guys do take the roids, they break down very quickly at some point in the career. And he didn't. I mean, you know, I'm, okay, 2005 was his last year. He only played 39 games. But before that, man, he was playing 156-plus games almost every year. Four times he played 162 games. A couple other times, 161, 160. So he was very durable. Maybe he was just in great shape and looked like a guy that maybe did roids or something from that era. You know, but and, you know, he played a lot of years you know, some of his early years, you know, with, without the, the great, you know, easy ballpark to hit the home runs in and stuff, too. Um, right. So Yeah, he played over 2,000 games in 15 years. I mean, that's, that's a lot. I mean, Biggio yes. played a lot of games, too. He had games where he played over 160 a season, you know, or seasons where he did that. Yeah. Um, so in the 3,000 hit guy, I mean, you know, he's got to be on there. 280 hitter, you know, doubles machine and everything. And Yeah, stole yeah, a lot of bases I mean, for a few years there, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, led the league one year. Ninety four, mm-hmm. he led the league in in steals. You know, right. So, so those two for sure, they're on there. So then we come down to other possibilities, and these are the ones that I have as a list. And you can tell me if you want to add Mike okay. Scott, pitcher Mike Scott, mm-hmm. um, pitcher J.R. Richard. I'd like to just put him as an, a possibility. Uh, pitcher Nolan Ryan, and pitcher Joe Necro. Those ones I have, and then two. Outfielders, um, the toy cannon Jimmy Wynn, and mm-hmm. outfielder Jose Cruz, who was such a fan favorite. I, I feel like he, he's got to be yeah. I was throwing out Jose there. Cruz too, but you know, really, uh, are we going to talk about modern guys? I mean, because I, I think I think Jose Altuve's done enough already to be on their mount. Rushmore. Yeah, I, I he's played I, nine years. He's played like a Hall of Famer. You know, three fifteen career hitter. He's won three batting titles. He's led the league in hits. Four times, you know, with over 200 in those years, he's been durable. He's won a World Series for him and taken him to another one. He's been an all-star six times. I mean, even if the he didn't face do of the else, fran- yeah, the yeah. face of the franchise too. I mean, I think he's got to be on there. You yeah, know? I, I, I was just trying to. Leave he's going to put up some some great 
he's going to have some more great years before he's done. And, too. you know, like he, if you yeah. talk about the two Jose's, like let's say you're talking about Jose Cruz. Great guy. I mean, he's a franchise leader, I think, in triples right now. But, you know, he, he never had over 100 RBI. He I mean, he had a lifetime batting average of like 292. But, yeah, you he know, was a he, great player. He was a, yeah. he was a you know, you know, very good at a time. In the where, Astrodome. In the Astrodome. Oh, yeah. And if he got to play in that man box there, he would have hit 25 home runs a right. year and, and all that. But, you know, you're not hitting home runs in the Astrodome, I tell you. You know, I, and so I get that. You know, like uh, the, some of these guys, I mean, he never had any one season as good as Altuve has done a number of times. Okay. So mm-hmm. no offense there. And same thing now. Jimmy Wynn might not be familiar with a lot of people, but. I mean, if you got to look back at his 1967 All-Star year where he hit 37 home runs and had 107 ribbies. Um, he mm-hmm. was, you know, this little guy, 5'9". Uh, we used to play with him some in Apple baseball and stuff, yeah. and he was a beast. But he didn't he have the length of uh, dominance by any means. No, he, neither one of them compares well with Altuve. So I agree with you. I think Altuve uh, would be our third one. Okay. Yes. But then we got to come up with a fourth, who I think should be a pitcher, because they have four really interesting pitchers that you can look at, and they're all very similar. And I'll just kind of throw it out there. You have, first off, you think, oh, well, Nolan Ryan. Now, Nolan Ryan he played 27 years, okay? <laughs> yeah. And um, mo- the most out of the four teams he played for was with Houston. He played nine mm-hmm. seasons with them. And he, they did have some success going into the playoffs and stuff. He went 106 and 94 with a 3.13 ERA while a Houston Astro. But um, you have Mike Scott went 110 and 81 with a 3.30, and he won a Cy Young Award with them. Okay, mm-hmm. and was he was the first player to ever win the MVP in the NLCS while on a losing team, right? In '86. Of course, a lot of those Mets were thinking he was cheating or something, but whatever. Um, the ball. You know, he's first Astro pitcher to win 20 games. He was a great pitcher for them through the 80s. Mm-hmm. But then yeah, you have, um, then you also have um, J.R. Richard, who, you know, without having a stroke or something in 1980, uh, he, he went 107 and 71 in 10 years, you know, through the 70s, the JR- basically. JR was as good as anybody when he was pitching, but he just didn't pitch long enough to get right. on there. I mean, he looked like a guy there. that might, you know, be yeah, a Hall he, of Famer or something. Yeah. Um, but yeah. you know, he struck out over three hundred guys. I mean, you know, he was he was, you know, killing it. I mean, he still um is third most strikeouts in club history. And we're talking about some people that struck out a lot of people, you know, during that time. And then the other guy that I just want to bring out is Joe Necro, the knuckleballer. He is mm-hmm. the franchise leader in wins. He had 144 wins. He pitched 11 years there, you know, out of his 22 with them. And really through the late 70s, early 80s, I mean, he was an all-star and a dominant pitcher. I mean, he was very good. Um, you know, from like 77 to 83, he was he was really good there. Um, so and he was, I think, I mean, I know he won 144, and he, his ERA was similar there, too. I know in 79 he was 21 and 11 with um, a 3.0 ERA or something like that. Um, so, you know, I mean, it's like his career ERA was three, two, two. So like all these pitchers while pitching for Houston, because, you know, that's what you got to look at. You're not going to put Randy Johnson who pitched one year for them on their mm-hmm. Mount Rushmore. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Or something like that. You know what I mean? Or like, even Verlander that's only pitched like a couple of years or so yeah. for them. You can't do that. I yeah. Mean, you know, you got, I think you got to be there around 10 years. Right. Yeah. Nine I, to I, I, nine I, I, yeah. years or more, I think, is normally pretty good. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, nine to ten is kind of what you're looking at. Uh, you know, uh, kind of a baseball generation is yes. kind of what you're looking at. 
And so I really think it's either Necro, Ryan, uh, Scott, or Richard. Now, you were kind of saying probably not Richard, though I, Richard stacks up just as well with these guys as anybody does. Um, I, I, I'll, I have two that I would narrow down out of those four, and it might be surprising, but I would say either Mike Scott or Necro. I actually would not say Nolan Ryan. I know Nolan Ryan achieved things while as an Astro. He became the all-time strikeout king in 83, and he pitched a no-hitter. But he didn't win um, a Cy Young Award or, um, you know, uh, do, like, the stuff in the playoffs that Mike Scott did. I think Mike Scott did more uh, in his nine seasons as as a, you know, Astro than Nolan Ryan did. I do. He won 110 games. Um, you know, he won 110 and 81 and Ryan won 106 and 94. Yeah. You know, true. like, I guess so, it's the way you want to look at it because, right. um, you can look at it. I, I think that you're correct. If you're looking at it, just like pure baseball numbers and what they performed, but mm-hmm. let's say they're actually building, they're sculpting a statue in their ballpark. Are they going to put Mike Scott on there or Nolan Ryan? Mm. They're going to put Nolan Ryan because he's yeah, part of that, the franchise. That's the way I, that's the way I kind of look at it. I mean, I'm not mm-hmm. saying that, that Necro or Scott didn't deserve it more. You're probably right. I think you are. But I would put Nolan Ryan on there. <laughs> because, right. you know, when you're in the Hall of Fame and you pitch, I mean, when I think of Astros pitchers, Nolan Ryan comes to mind first. Not Phil, not that I say Phil, not Joe Negro. Um, and I do think of Mike Scott because I kind of grew up with him. But I bet you most people... If you didn't grow up in the 80s watching baseball, um, you don't really even think of Mike Scott, you know. Um, you think of Nolan Ryan. You know, and actually, I think of Nolan Ryan pitching for the Astros more than any other team. I know he pitched for Texas. I remember that, but I, I, I was too young when he was with the Mets and, and the Angels. Um, but, yeah, I kind of picture him as an Astro, you know. Right, yeah, so, with the uh, striped jersey on and, and, you know, the multi-striped, you know, orange yeah. and yellow and stuff. I, I agree with you that the guy you think of is Ryan. I think the 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 guy that should be would be Scott, but we can go with Nolan Ryan just because I think it would look really weird without. But I don't know. Maybe we should just make the right call. It's not like we're actually sculpting this thing, you know? What I mean? <laughs> yeah, I never. Um, so, no, I think I think the player and the the pitcher that performed the best in their franchise over um, at least a ten year period is Mike Scott. All right. Right. So I think he would be the guy that you should put on there. But if the Astros were actually doing this, um, you know, they probably would put Nolan Ryan out there. (laughs) Right. Because I think whenever you're talking about these Mount Rushmore's, if you made it to the Hall of Fame, that's bonus points. That gets you on stuff, you know. Right. I mean, you know, like it's like if you talk about no hitters, Mike Scott threw a no hitter to clinch the 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 he's the first pitcher in MLB history to throw a no-hitter to clinch um, against San Francisco in the NL West in, in 86. That's I mean, true, but no, Nolan Ryan threw a, a few no-hitters himself. Yeah, but as an Astro, I think he threw – did he throw a one? I think yeah, he threw oh, that's one. that's it. That's all, that's all he did. Yeah. yeah, Yeah. so they both threw the same amount. Yeah. You <laughs> okay. know? Uh, that's true. I, I mean, really, as what you did as an Astro. Yeah, yeah. Well, I agree. I agree. Yeah. You know? It's like, well, how many, well, hey, Nolan, how many uh, Cy Youngs did you win as an Astro? Oh, none? Oh, I won one. Oh, great. You know, or how many ERA titles did you win? Or how many, you know, it's like uh, he he did, I mean, 
Mike Scott was phenomenal. He 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 was dominant, as dominant as any pitcher they had in the history of their franchise. Um, and if you look, and I know there are some older Houston fans when they, you know, think of you know Verlander and Garrett Cole and people who were pitching for them recently, um, they probably can remember Mike Scott being very dominant too, because mm-hmm. he was something well, else. I remember him being dominant. Was watching the playoffs, you know, he was impressive, no doubt about it. You know, yeah. So 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 okay, so, so I, we can go with Mike Scott. That's fine. We'll just you know, all right. Know, he, all right he's so. the one that deserves it. So. so we're going to go with Bagwell and Biggio, Altuve and Scott. There that's still go. pretty good there. Um, yeah, and, I take that. Okay. All right. Well, that's good. And we'll uh, we'll do something non-baseball Mount Rushmore um, in our next episode. All right, well, welcome back, and we're going to do an on-the-spot. We uh, like to do this segment um, often, and I believe it's my turn to do an on-the-spot to Kevin. So my on-the-spot is, you know, just a week or so ago at at a certain point, um, I know the Red Wings and the Pistons were, like, in last place. Um, The Lions were in last place in their division. And the Tigers, of course, were horrible and last place team. And uh, when you worst look, team in baseball. <laughs> worst team in baseball, yes. Um, yeah. So when you uh, look at the state of professional sports in, in the Motor City, um, it's pretty rough right now. And, you know, this yeah. is – we've had, you know, um, some good runs, you know, where we've had a lot of teams being really good. Right now they all look really bad. And the mm-hmm. on-the-spot question, anybody can join us by giving us feedback at Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at DoubleTakeCast or emailing us at DoubleTakeFeedback at gmail.com, um, is who is going to get out of that? Who's going to be – what mm. team is going to rise out of this and become a, a championship contender? I'm not saying they're going to win a championship necessarily, but all of a sudden, you know, be a team that is one of the better teams in their league. Um, who okay. do you think is going to kind of rise up? And there's different ways you can argue this or debate it. And of course we, we can't predict the future, but, um, it looks pretty dire for almost everyone in different ways. Um, do you have some initial thoughts or, or you could take it different ways. You could also go with who is not going to do it. Uh, who's going to do it the least fastest or whatever yeah. too, you know? Yes. Yes. I would say number four, um, is, um, probably, let me think here. The Tigers. I, I, I just don't see the Tigers being competitive anytime soon, for sure. Um, and I and I tend and to agree with I, you on that because it takes a long time to rebuild baseball. Baseball takes a lot longer. So because of that, I mean, I think the Pistons have the best chance to turn it around. I mean, you know, they, they made the playoffs recently, um, you know, as a low seed, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, um but you know, basketball—just one or two players can really help, you know, and make a difference. Yep. Um. So I think that they are just a player or two away from uh, being competitive, and, and you know, maybe being competitive in the East. So they're probably number one. And then we've got the Red Wings and the Lions. Um. I, I feel like the the Wings are probably number two with Steve Eiserman taking over things again. I think that they will be moving in a good direction. He's got a pretty good track record as a GM. 
and um, kind of knows what it takes to win. So I think that within the next two, three years, the Wings will be, you know, a, a good playoff team that maybe is in the hunt for something. Um, and then the Lions, of course, that makes them number three. Now the Lions have just, you know, like even this year, there's, you know, several games that they could have won before injuries and stuff to Stafford and everything, who, by the way, is probably, you know, a Hall of Fame quarterback. People don't always talk about but you look at his numbers. He plays like a Hall of Famer. Oh, yeah, he um, does. But he's never going to win anything. He's kind of like the Dan Marino that's never made it to a Super Bowl and probably never will, you know. But he is really well, good. Well, Marino played in one Super Bowl. Yeah, I know. But uh, I, I don't think it. Stafford's going to – Stafford's yeah. not going to play in the Super Bowl unless he gets traded. Okay. Right. You know, I it's agree. not going to happen. Yeah. Because it's not yeah. going to happen with the Lions in, in his time. You know, he's – I know with – with the Lions, there's a lot of people that are frustrated and they want to fire Patricia and they want to see changes again, which, look, I, I I agree it's frustrating, but if you do that again, you just start over again. You're just resetting mm-hmm. again. Um, if Patricia is still coaching this too team. bad. Patricia's yeah. all right. I will know. say that the thing I see with, and I know that this can get people going, but what I see with the Lions and Patricia is they do play really hard. They don't give up, yeah. but they That's are playing true. with um, with not a good depth of roster. You know, they just don't mm-hmm. have a lot of talent. And when they, and everybody deals with injuries in the NFL, and as soon as the injuries start kicking in for the Lions, um, they're in deep trouble. I mean, yeah. I mean, they're they're playing they're playing a guy on Thanksgiving that's never started an NFL game before, and was like, you know, it's like, oh, who do you play college for? Purdue, and everybody's like. Who? I don't even remember him. We're in like the Big Ten country here, and nobody even remembers this guy. Yeah, yeah. You know, they're like, who? What? He's not Is he Drew a- Brees. He's not yeah. Drew Brees. <laughs> they're like, Is he a backup? I mean, yeah. you know, so like, I mean, you know, it's if in the few years Patricia's still there and he survives all the calls for firing and, and all those things happen. I think they will have maybe been able to build. If something. they give him time, I think he'll make him a player. I just don't know if he yes. if he'll get enough time. You know, yeah, I, I, I don't know either. So um, that's kind of up in the air. And I agree with you with Eiserman. I think Eiserman knows what he's doing. But I'll tell you, man, the Red Wings are painful to watch. I mean, they're losing mm-hmm. games six to nothing, six to mm-hmm. one. It's yeah. one thing to lose games. It's another thing. I mean, that is just getting killed. I mean, the, it's it's brutal trying to watch yeah. them. Um, so, and that's the thing. Like, you know, you got Fox Sports Detroit and all that stuff. And you're trying to watch some of the your local teams. The Pistons are frustrating to watch. They normally can't close out a game. Um, mm-hmm. They're dealing with a lot of injuries too. So you know, I, I you know, I, I get that. Uh, the Red Wings are almost unwatchable. The mm-hmm. Lions actually are entertaining in the sense that there is, there's always a frustrating storyline with the, yes. the Lions. They've but, been in a lot of close games that they they could have gone their way, but you know, right? Um, the season could have turned for a decent season. But it's turned into a disaster, of course, you know. Right. So, Which is, but I don't think they're that far off from being a solid team. Like, you know, if, if they have some better luck with injuries, get a few players, get some free agents, a decent draft, you know, Stafford's healthy, they, they could be a, a good team again, you know, like next year. I, yeah, it's possible. I, you know? I agree. I, I, think that, the, I think they could. The Red Wings, no. Um, the Tigers, no. I think the Pistons could do that as well. I think the Pistons, if things kind of work their way out and they can get somebody, I think they could they could turn around and be a decent team. So and then, yeah, and that's then, kind of my take on that. Yeah. And then what happens is people turn to the college sports, and particularly Michigan and Michigan State, 
And I do think basketball is in a good position for both Michigan and Michigan State. You know, Michigan mm-hmm. had a couple impressive uh, college basketball wins over ranked teams, uh, though I think they played that Gonzaga team that was really beat up. But but hey, they won. Um, yeah. Michigan State starts off ranked really well and should have a pretty good season. So I think that should be good. But the state of college football is bad. Um, yes. I mean, Michigan State squeaks into a potential bowl game with their sixth win when they should have killed you know maryland and they barely win it with a field goal and then michigan just got throttled again by ohio state for the eighth time now in a row um and i think that the difference with the football teams um and i and you know we should make it clear we both went to michigan state but um the difference between michigan football and michigan state football uh, is not just a couple wins. It's when Michigan State football is bad, we all know they're bad. When mm-hmm. Michigan football is bad, they still have this delusion that they're good. You know, like yeah. they beat yeah. up on a bad Michigan State team in in Indiana, and somehow they still think that they're going to hang with Ohio State. I mean, what you know? Did you forget about what happened with Wisconsin? Or it's like, oh, we beat Notre Dame. Notre Dame's horrible. I mean, yeah. So it's like, I mean, Michigan. You know, they, they get ranked like when we start losing, we drop out of the rankings as a football yeah. team because we don't get any respect. Um, where when Michigan, you know, is hanging around there, they still have them ranked in the top 15. They're a joke. I mean, give yeah. me a break, you know, and, you know, giving up, you know, over 50 points again um, against Ohio State. And then would they give up 61 last year? No, uh, yeah, 63, I think, last year. 63 only 56, or something? Only 56 this year. Yeah, it's it's better. Re- it's ridiculous, you know. And no, they, you know, only, they only lost by four touchdowns at home. What's the yeah. deal? Come on. <laughs> I know. I mean, it's just like this this whole idea where they think they're so great and then and then they don't even hang in there. And then I know that Harbaugh, you know, it's all insulted because they're like, well, what do you think this is? Is that a talent thing? Well, why are you insulting me? Dude, you lost by yeah. like four touchdowns. Two I years mean, in a row. You know? I mean, how many points yeah. did State? State's horrible. How many did they? They didn't give up that many points to we them. We lost 34 to 10. And I it mean, was cl- close by half t- at halftime. It was reasonably close, and then they just started smoking MSU. Ohio right. State did. So, but it's thirty-four to ten. That was in Columbus too, right? Because you Michigan know? got to play all these home games too. I mean, except for their one at Wisconsin where they got their butt kicked. But it's like, look, we state has a lot of things that they need to do. But I think that at least you can be honest that there's issues, you know, and you're going to deal with yeah. it. There, we're not as delusional as Wolverine mm-hmm. fans who somehow think that they're better than what they are every year. And then they get mm-hmm. throttled at the end of the year. Every time it's, it's hilarious. It's like, you see it yeah. coming, you know? So, so I don't know. I mean, the football stuff, I don't know where that's going to change. I don't see what's changing with Ohio state. You know, they're, yeah. they're just good. They're just oh, really they good. Yeah. And if they're in your same division in your conference, that's trouble. Um, so, as far as college football and Big Ten football, that's still going to be a struggle there. I mean, who's going to get the next, you know, um, who's going to, who's out of Michigan and Michigan State, who's going to win the division next? Uh, you know, some people might say Michigan. I don't know about that. I, don't, I think that um, Ohio State's got their number. And <laughs> you think? <laughs> yeah, you know, so I, you know, you can't even get through that. And I just, you know, I don't know. I mean, if you if you talk about track record, um, well, Michigan State has actually been to the championship a number of times compared to Michigan and won it and won, and it. won it and been into the playoffs and all. I mean, you know, so they've been there, 
more than what Michigan can say. And they have nothing. Beat Ohio State a couple times recently, it, and <laughs> in Columbus as well. I mean, yeah. so I mean that doesn't you know I mean at least they pulled it off. Uh, I yeah. don't know what Michigan. Michigan has nothing. All they do is have a lot of hype. So, yeah. um, so it, that should be interesting next year, but I'm sure Michigan will be ranked in the top 10 next year for some reason or whatever they'll do. Um, so, and then basketball, we'll see how that plays out. It should be a fun big 10 basketball yeah, season. It's, it's going to be very competitive. There's some good teams around as far as Michigan sports go right now. It's, it's big tough. 10, it's big 10 basketball, but yes, basically yes. that's where we're at. <laughs> um, and after that, phew, it's rough. And then you just yeah. gotta you're gonna have to root for some other teams. <laughs> That's yeah. what you're gonna need to do. Yeah. Find yeah. find a secondary team. So yeah. all right, well, um, you know, that's uh our kind of sad but um you know, true, true on the spot. <laughs> on the spot of Detroit sports at this time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Double Take. We encourage you to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at Double Take Cast. You can email us with comments or suggestions at doubletakefeedback at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at anchor.fm. Double Take is recorded using Audacity and CleanFeed. We use Fifine USB microphones and distribute through Anchor.fm. Theme music, Funk in the Trunk, is by Shane Ivers at SilvermanSound.com. Please follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at DoubleTakeCast, or email us at DoubleTakeFeedback at gmail.com. Thank you for listening.